Welcome to the SAHCC Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Erica Gonzalez, Chairwoman of the Board. Now is the time for us to pull together. This podcast will bring a variety of topics to help us rebuild. We are here as a resource for Hispanic-owned businesses, small business, economic development, advocacy, international trade, education, and leadership. Take some time to listen and learn, but most importantly, to remember that we are in this together. Welcome to SAHCC Voices. This podcast is presented by Opcom Media Group, audio and video production for social media, corporate marketing, and training purposes. At Opcom, we work with a wide array of companies, from small sole proprietorships to some of the largest corporations. We specialize in producing audiovisual content to increase brand awareness and sales. To know more, visit opcommediagroup.com. That is O-P-C-O-M mediagroup.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce Voices Podcast. I am Janae Margo-Gonzalez, Philanthropy Coordinator for the Marinus Province of the United States. Today, I'm also here as an alumna and former chair of the Alexander Briseño Leadership Development Program, a seven-month program presented by the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce that provides emerging leaders with the skills to succeed in today's working environment. I'm excited to host today's discussion as we highlight the legacy and contributions of former city manager, Alexander Briseño, for whom ABLDP is named on the 20th anniversary of his retirement from the city of San Antonio. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And, and first of all, you know, let me say, Janae, thank you for all the work that you put into the ABLDP, your leadership in it. Gosh, I've, I can't think of a single time I've gone to one of the functions without you being there. Well, so thank you for, and it's an honor for me to be here as well. As I've said many times, uh, having this program named after me was a huge honor. In fact, usually you have to die before they name something after you. So uh, I'm still alive and still kicking. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years since I retired. Right. Time sure does fly. And, and thank you for those kind words, Alex. You know how much ABLDP means to me in the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Now, Alex, although we are celebrating 20 years since your retirement, your entire life has been dedicated to public service. Were there a certain Was there a certain experience that inspired your commitment to giving back to the community? You know, th- there's a, a couple of, of uh, thoughts on that. Number one, back in during Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, I was um, uh, between my freshman and junior year in college, and sophomore year in college, um, I had a summer job at Brook Army Medical Center. And my job was in the admissions office, and I would go out to Kelly Air Force Base to meet the medevac flights coming in from Vietnam. And one particular time, they sent in a, a platoon uh, of Marines that had called a napalm strike in their position. Only 17 survived, and they were all burned and they were taking them to the burn unit at, at Bamsey. And so I went out there and on the bus, I was asking, what's your date of birth, you know, next of kin, religious preference and all that, and these guys were all burned. One of them didn't make it until he got to the burn ward and they put him in there and the first thing they do in the burn ward is they put you in the stainless steel tub with all these chemicals and peel off all the burned skin. And this poor guy was screaming in pain. His lips were like bacon. He was a Mexicano, just like me. From, from El Paso, and I thought, that could have been me. 
I was fortunate to get a scholarship, Army scholarship, to be able to go to college. He didn't. He's 18 years old. I'm 18 years old. And look at him laying there. So that was something that said, you know, I have a responsibility to give something back. Later, when I was trying to decide whether or not to apply for the job of city manager, I did what most good Mexican boys do, went home to mama for advice. And I asked her, what should I do? And she says, mijo, you need to apply for this job. You owe it to yourself. You worked hard for this. You studied for it. You've been at the city for 13 years now, and you, you've earned it. You owe it to yourself. But more importantly, you owe it to the children of the barrio. They need to know that if they stay in school, if they work hard, that they can someday dream to be successful as well. And that was part of that inspiration for me. Wow. Thank, what an inspirational story. Thank you for sharing that, Alex. I just can't imagine what that, that experience was you know, during the Vietnam era. Um, I hear stories all the time from my mother. And, and by the way, Mexican, Mexican daughters go to their mothers, too, to ask for advice. Yeah. So I do that, too. <laughs> during your time as city manager, you oversaw a full-service municipal government under four different mayors, 39 city council members, an annual budget of $1.2 billion, 12,000 employees, and served a community of 1 million residents. How did you balance the demands of that position? You know, um, it required a lot of time and, and um, uh, investment of energy. And I have to say, uh, one of the things I regret about the 11 years I had as city manager was not being able to spend enough time with my family. I had a time uh, when my daughter, who was in high school, uh, came to me and wanted me to put something on my calendar. And she said, it's for February the 18th. Well, this was in December. I said, I don't have next year's calendar yet. Those were in the old days when the calendar, you flipped around in a little ribbon and all that. And uh, I said, I don't have the, the new calendar yet. Come back in January and I'll put it in. She says, no, Dad, I want you to put it now. And I said, well, why? She said, well, that's the night that the dance team is performing at the Spurs game and you didn't go to the homecoming game. I was at a city council in a National uh, League of Cities meeting, and I wasn't able to attend that. So that kind of struck home. The, the good news is that uh, my family was very supportive. On the day we had the record snowstorm back in 1985, uh, 13 inches of snow, um, I was acting city manager that day because our boss was out of town, and uh, they sent a four-wheel drive vehicle to pick me up to go down to the emergency operations center, and so I spent day and a half there, slept there and all that. And when I got home, I saw the picture of my daughter and my stepson who made a snowman in the front yard and, and had done all that. I missed all that. The good news was my wife was very supportive. Mary, uh, she was the only person that I could really come across and be honest and, 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 and crying with or whatever with the challenges that I had. And she always gave me good advice, always supportive. I used to say, I'd come home from work and I'd be flying apart. She'd put me back together the next day and say, I'll go back and do it again. And so that part of the family was good, but it was a demanding job. Yeah, it sounds like it. But yeah, thank God for Mary, because it's always good to have a supportive person like that uh, in your And corner. you know, uh, it was probably for the 11 years, I probably averaged 60 to 70 hours a week in the office, not counting what I did at home or on weekends. And when I, this program was named after me in the Spank Chamber Luncheon, Henry Cisneros was speaking, and, um, and he said, Alex Bersenio always worked hard. When I uh, went by, when I left City Hall when he was mayor, I'd leave City Hall at 9, 10 o'clock at night, his car was in the parking lot. When I drove by on the weekend, his car was in the parking lot. When I came in at 7 in the morning, his car was in the parking lot. He was always working. 
And when I got up to speak, I said, you know, Henry just didn't know that I rode the bus and <laughs> left the car there in the parking lot. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, Via, Via means a lot to, to many of us. I rode that same bus uh, when I was a child. Um, well, as you know, Alex, 2020 was a challenging year to say the least. COVID-19 exposed long-standing inequities throughout the country. In San Antonio, we saw as that inequity determined who could work from home, who was prepared to apply for relief, and what jobs would require in-person risk in order to make a living. As former chairman of the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, what do you feel is needed for San Antonio's small businesses to succeed in the post-COVID era? You know, uh, we're going to have to uh, adapt. And as you mentioned, uh, we had a lot of challenges, people working from home. Uh, we had workers who had to continue to work. And those are usually the lower level employees. And so uh, the folks that clean the bathrooms, the folks that wash the sheets at the hospital, all those people had to get to work. As a former chairman of VIA as well, um, the bus transportation uh, was very important for those folks who couldn't afford cars and they had to get to work. And so VIA adapted and they allowed people to go for free and they had to wear masks and have the spatial distancing and all that. But there were the bus drivers that had to be there all the time. So those folks were always there providing those services to our community for those who needed the most, whether it be getting to the doctor or getting to work or whatever. You know, um, the challenges that we're going to have in the future uh, include um, dealing with being awakened to our issue of economic segregation. Um, that's a challenge that I think is very important in San Antonio. Uh, I, I've, I've dealt with it for a long time and, and tried to uh, make improvements and, and hopefully uh, have succeeded, but there's a lot more to do. Uh, in one of my classes at St. Mary's, I talked about, uh, had some research done by the students and compared District 5 and District 9 in San Antonio. District 5 is in the inner city portion of the west side. District 9 is from 410 all the way past 1604, Stone Oak and all that. And so that's the wealthiest district versus the poorest district. And um, District 5 is 94% Hispanic. District 9 is 36% Hispanic. 4% of the District 9 adults uh, dropped out of high school. 47% of the District 5 adults dropped out of high school. 51% of the adults in District 9 had a bachelor's degree or more. In District 5, only 4% had a bachelor's degree or more. And so you can see that ultimately in the kind of money that they made. Per capita income in District 9 was $40,000 a year. In District 3, in District 5, it was $13,000 a year. And so that was in 2016, and we haven't progressed much since then. And so those are challenges that we need to adapt to and deal with. And the, and the solution to things like that is going to be education and job training, uh, those kinds of opportunities uh, to focus on making those changes. And so that's, uh, we made a lot of successes, you know, uh, pre-pandemic and in the last 20 years since I left City Hall. Uh, downtown development has expanded, uh, a lot more activity downtown, more housing in the inner city close to downtown area, young people moving in in that area and just creating a different uh, vivacious activity. That's been very important. Um, and 
you know, we've, we've seen other successes that have come a long way. Diversity, as an example. Um, when I f first went to work in the city in 1977, and I went to my first executive team meeting, there were no women in the room out of 35 men, no women. There were, besides me, two other Hispanics and two African Americans, and the rest were Anglo male. And um, when I left City Hall, 50% of the executives uh, were Hispanic, 32% were women, and 16% were African American. And so that reflected more what, what our community looks like. I didn't do that by myself. That was over a period of 24 years that that evolved, but that has continued. If you look at the leadership today, Eric Walsh, who's now city manager, is, his mother is Hispanic. And, um, and he was the, the uh, city council action team leader when I was city manager, responding to requests from the council members and putting together a team of people to solve a problem, whether it be a drainage ditch or pothole or whatever. And um, uh, Maria Villa-Gomez, who's now deputy city manager, Maria was an accountant in the solid waste department when I left city hall. And she worked her way up to budget director and now deputy city manager, Rod Sanchez, who graduated from St. Mary's as well, uh, is an assistant city manager. He was there as a director, assistant director of development services way back in 1999, 2000. So a lot of that has continued, and I'm very pleased to see that continuing. Thank you for sharing that, Alex. It's amazing to, um, to see probably the people that you worked with and where they, how far they've come and what they're now doing for our city. I mean, um, there's definitely been, continues to be much inequity um, but like as you shared, um, there has been much progress, but there's still much work to be done. Absolutely. And it's it's wonderful to see that there are good people uh, in the positions that need to be in the positions to make progress. Um, 20 years ago, the San Antonio Hispanic Chamber of Commerce named their longstanding Hispanic Leadership Development Program in your honor. With that change came an, came an infusion of your leadership philosophy, Herencia con Corazón, or the practice of management led by compassion and heart. As a graduate of ABLGP in 2011, I found that the experience spoke to my heart as a servant leader. Under the facilitation of Winslow Swart, participants were encouraged to be both inclusive and passionate about team projects that would benefit the entire community. Could you share a bit about the process of developing your philosophy and how has it served you in your many roles? You know, um, uh, my 10 principles of leadership, um, a lot of them are just real straightforward. Work hard, be open to new ideas, uh, things like that. Uh, creativity, be aware, knowledgeable of what you're working on. And I, I think I used to say, when you go into the room and you need to be able to be confident in know what you're talking about, and quoted Congressman Henry B. Gonzalez, who said, Si te digo que la mula es parda, es porque tengo los pelos en la mano. If I tell you the mule is gray, it's because I got the hands, the hairs in my hand. In other words, you need to know what you're talking about. So a lot of that is very straightforward. I think the main thing that, that I've, and I usually, it's my last part of my, of my leadership principles, uh, focus on that is having a vision of where we need to go, um, compassion and how we deal with those issues, and a passion for getting those done. Part of that is reflected, like in the statistics I gave a while ago that talked about the disparity, the economic segregation that's occurred. And that's an issue of compassion. So how do you deal with that? Well, one of the things is education. 
We got 47% of the adults in District 5 uh, who have not graduated from high school. Now, we've got tremendous opportunity now with the COVID, the election that was held back in, in the summer that said, we're going to take an eighth of a cent sales tax and for five years apply it to job training in our community. It made the goal of 120,000 or so jobs being created. And then after that, applying the eighth of a cent to mass transit. Uh, both of them are important needs. But clearly, um, to deal with economic challenges and income uh, inequities, uh, education, the job training is critical for that. And so I think we've got, we're on the verge of getting some, some things done there. But the, the vision is, okay, where do we want to go? Uh, the compassion is being understanding and, and caring for those folks. Um, but the key is passion. You have to have the drive. You have to really want to do it. It's the kind of thing where you go in and get knocked down, you get up and do it again. And that's that passion, that drive uh, that's important. And, you know, you asked how that developed. It just kind of developed over the years. In nineteen mid-90s, I created a leadership development program for our mid-management employees at the city. We went through the same kind of process. They applied. We went through the, and so for that program, that's when I started developing those, those leadership principles. And they've applied. They've continued to apply over the years. About, well, I guess, two years ago, I had a lunch meeting uh, scheduled, and, and the meeting got canceled at the last minute. Well, I was already dressed in a coat and tie, and so and I was hungry. So I said, well, I don't like to eat by myself because people look at you as funny and say, what's wrong with that guy? You know? And so, but I was hungry. So I passed the Bill Miller's and had a special two pieces of fried chicken with fries and an iced tea for like four ninety nine. So I said, I'll go in there. I like the fried chicken. So I went in there. I was eating in the corner, and somebody would see me. And I saw a crew of city employees come in, and it was three workers with their green vests, and the supervisor, who was an older gentleman with a white shirt, but, you know, starched, clearly the supervisor. And so I thought, you know, people usually just complain about city employees not doing their job, and these guys uh, never get praised for doing a good job. It was 100 degrees outside, and they're out there working, cleaning up stuff. And so on the way out, I stopped by their table, and I said, I just want to tell you all, thank you for what the work you do and really, it's out there hot, and you're out there working, and we really, really appreciate what you're doing. And they looked at me like, what's wrong with this guy? He's kind of funny. And, and, um, and the supervisor says, I know you. He says, corazón. And he remembered as a supervisor way back in the 90s, my motto of herencia con corazón. So hopefully that has stuck with them and continued in that process. I think it probably has. And, it's, and we really appreciate the fact that your leadership principles are found in ABLDP curriculum to this day. Through the seven-month course, students are walked through the topics of judgment, compassion, courage, integrity, creativity, passion, vision, competency, diligence, and accessibility. For myself personally, participating in ABLDP has been impactful in my personal and professional life. The experience took me to the next level in my career, in addition to my contributions to the nonprofit boards that I have served on. I believe that my ABLDP experience provided a solid foundation for me to become the leader I am today, a leader who ensures that everyone is included and brought to the table to share their perspective. Both my personal and professional decisions are based on what is best for the common good. 
I am passionate about helping others succeed in service to our community. And I can't thank you enough, Alex, for lending your name to our program and for your leadership. Well, you know, you should be proud of what you've done because you're committed to that. I know that, and I've seen that for years. And so I'm proud of you as well. So I'm glad that that program has had an impact on you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Alex, more than you know. This podcast episode will premiere along with our announcement of the 2021 ABLDB class. What advice do you have for this next cohort as they begin their journey? You know, um, frankly, it's uh, applying those same principles, frankly. Just knowledge, you know, capabilities, uh, diligence, hard work, um, being open to new ideas, uh, courage, you know, the opportunity to, or the need to say things to your supervisor they may not want to hear, but they need to know. Uh, so sometimes that's tough to do. Um, and then ultimately having a vision, compassion, and passion. And hopefully they can follow up by pursuing those either in their careers or in volunteers and community activities. And, and who knows? You know, we've had some that end up, you know, running for uh, elected positions like the, the Bear County Sheriff who went to the program years ago. Yes, that's that's right. And we've had a, a few a few people also like a councilwoman, uh, Adriano Rocha Garcia as well. Yeah. So we're very fortunate to have so many people that have learned from you and your principles and have continued on um, in their in their careers and, c- and continue to lead with Herencia Con Corazon. Thank you again for taking the time to chat with us today, Alex. It's it's been a pleasure. Well, it's been an honor and thank you all for having me. Hopefully this new group, the twenty twenty one Group is hard to believe that, that there's that many uh, will succeed and enjoy their participation. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm excited for our listeners to meet the 2021 ABLDP class and encourage you all to share this podcast episode with emerging leaders who may benefit from the Alexander Briseño Leadership Development Program. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to SAHCC Voices. For more information and resources from this episode, visit sahcc.org. If you're interested in becoming a member or would like to sponsor our podcast, please let us know. This podcast was presented by Opcom Media Group.